If you would turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. Welcome to our prophecy update tonight. And uh, looking forward to this. <laughs> it's good to see. <laughs> good to see all of you here and uh, those of you watching online. And uh, let's pray. Father, you are good. So good. We worship you. You are the king. You are the one who is on the throne. And I pray tonight, God, as we look at your word, that our hearts would be stirred, enlightened, refreshed. And Lord, that you would give us a clear sense of our purpose. Living as followers of Jesus Christ in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a couple of things I want to just go over before we dive into this tonight. A couple of kind of disclaimers. And one of the reasons why we're doing these on Sunday nights rather than Sunday morning is just for the sake of time. Our teaching time on Sunday morning is about 30, 35 minutes. And we're going to spend about an hour each one of these times together because um, it's just a lot of things to cover. But I want to give a couple disclaimers. And disclaimer number one is this. Sometimes... I've been told that sometimes, some people feel this way, that pastors use Bible prophecy to scare people into becoming Christians. And I just want you to know that is not my intent at all. I'm not a big fan of that. I've seen that kind of done and that's not the purpose of this. My purpose in doing this is that the Bible tells us that there's three things that God says he does not want his church to be ignorant of. One is spiritual gifts. Unfortunately, the church is kind of ignorant. A lot of the church is about spiritual gifts. The second is the nation of Israel. And the third is Bible prophecy. And it's interesting that, that the nation of Israel is a big part of Bible prophecy. And the Bible, one third of the Bible, is dedicated to Bible prophecy, so my heart in doing these is just it's realizing over the years that, you know, some people in our church are very, very uh, versed in Bible prophecy and some aren't as much. And so as a pastor, I feel like this is part of my responsibility to, you know, go through passages like this. And so um, our goal is to do, do these about once every two months. So our next one is being planned right now for in January. So that's disclaimer number one. Disclaimer number two is this. Some Bible teachers and even pastors in Calvary Chapel, my heritage, can be guilty, and, and I don't think it's really done intentionally, but guilty of trying what I would say too hard to make what is happening in our culture and in our world fit into Bible prophecy. You know, if you were around and you were following Jesus back in the 60s and 70s and even the 80s, you know that within Calvary Chapel, Bible prophecy was a huge part of our teaching. A lot of teaching on the last days. And it's interesting, this coming next Sunday as we hit chapter 3 of Second Peter, Peter's talking there about the last days. And so we're going to be explaining a little bit more on next Sunday what exactly that term means. But I remember growing up in Calvary Chapel and 
this emphasis and just a lot of like every time there was something in the news it's like oh this is that and this pertains to this and 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 I remember hearing things like you know can it get any worse and this has to be it and we can't you know we we can't be here much longer my dad told me you're not going to graduate high school because he was convinced the rapture was going to happen you know well I graduated high school Things have got worse, and we're still here, right? And the rapture still hasn't happened. But sometimes, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, is sometimes this overemphasis in sensationalizing uh, what is happening in culture and trying to relate it to Bible prophecy, I think has created in the church at times a scenario that is, is kind of... I would equate to that story of the little boy that cried wolf. You know, the little boy that came saying, the wolf is coming, the wolf is coming, and there was no wolf. And then finally, when the wolf did come, there was a lot of people who, you know, they, they just quit listening. They kind of tuned him out. And unfortunately, I know a lot of people who at one time were on fire for Jesus because they thought that Jesus was coming back at any moment and they wanted to be ready and they were on fire and they wanted to get out of here and today they're not even walking with Jesus anymore because the Lord has delayed his coming. And a friend of mine put it this way about that time period back in the 60s and 70s. When so, so much teaching on Bible prophecy, he said, he's put it this way, he says, a lot of Christians were excited about the coming of the Lord, but not the Lord who is coming. And that's the thing that we have to always be careful that we don't fall into that trap. We need to be excited about Jesus, amen? Because it's all about Jesus, and Jesus is coming, Okay? But we need to be excited about the Lord. And I even know pastors, and this breaks my heart, guys who grew up in Calvary Chapel churches who today don't even believe in the rapture, who think the book of Revelation is an allegory, who won't even teach the book of Revelation. And in many ways, it's their overreaction to this sensationalizing of prophecy And those type of teachings. And so it's for that reason, if you've been around here a long time, I've always been very, very careful about not going down that road. And I try hard not to take everything that I read in the the news and try to figure out like, oh, this must be that and and, and it lines up with this. I want to be careful. So I want to put those two things out just at the very beginning, just so you know my heart in this, those two disclaimers. But having said that, I will say this. I believe that the things that have happened in our world in the last two to three years are significant. And they have, in a sense, catapulted us forward in a way that I have not experienced in my lifetime. That what the Bible said would be happening in the days leading up to the coming of Jesus Christ are happening. It's being laid out, and I think it's very, very clear, and we need to be aware. You know, the early church that we read about in the book of Acts, that we read about in the New Testament, they believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus could come back at any moment, and that's how the Lord wants us to live. He wants us to live with that same type of urgency, but the Bible tells us that no man knows the day or the hour. 
of the coming of the Lord. But it also says that we can know the times and the seasons. It's like when you look out over the horizon and you see clouds and you're like, oh, it's going to rain tomorrow. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we used to every year take our high school kids down to Imperial Beach to the YMCA surf camp. And we would camp on the beach. And so picture, you know, 150 high schoolers, a ton of tents, all on the beach. And on this one particular night, Joey Baran was giving a message. And I'm, his, his back is to the ocean. I'm looking out, and I look out over the horizon, and I'm looking at the, the clouds. And I said, I think it was to Jim Westby, I said, think it's going to rain? Those look like rain clouds. And I got to tell you, about six hours later, man, it was dumping rain. The wind was blowing about 40 miles an hour. People were coming out of their tents and suddenly their tents just went flying, you know, off into the air. It was absolutely crazy. But the clouds were giving us the sign and the signal, hey, there is rain that is coming. And the things that are happening in our world are signs of the times that we are getting closer to the return of Christ. So the purpose of these prophecy updates is really threefold. To educate and inform concerning the subject of Bible prophecy. Number two, to make us aware of the signs of the times that we are living in. And number three, to get us excited about the Lord who is coming. That's the goal and the biggest goal. And each time we do these prophecy updates, we're going to, um, in our graphics, we're kind of having fun with this. We're going to put a graphic out. And, and can you put up the graphic uh, of the, the prophecy update series? Just the, do we have that graphic? Like the, you know, the one that we put? I guess we don't. Oh, there it is. So we're going to put out these graphics, and and the graphic is kind of a hint of what we're going to be talking about, and we want you to kind of guess. Like, I'm not going to tell you, but what are they talking about? So so tonight, our actually subject is going to be, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist. And I like this picture that they put together because it shows all the connecting dots, and you got this guy kind of looking out, you know, at the whole world map. And so we just Fun for you to kind of guess. What are we going to talk about you know, tonight? You can kind of guess from the graphic. But tonight our theme is this, the spirit of the Antichrist. And I want to read two verses to you before we jump into Revelation 13. Uh, the first is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. It says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, now remember, this is, this is John writing two, over 2,000 years ago. And he's saying, little children, it's the last hour. See what they believe? They believe then. Hey, it's the last hour. He says, uh, and you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And then in chapter 4, he said this, By this you know the Spirit of God, and every spirit that confesses that Jesus is Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the Spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. John describes that there was a spirit of Antichrist. Against Christ is the idea that existed in his day and age in which he was living. 
And the Bible makes it very, very clear that that spirit of Antichrist is going to be growing stronger and stronger in the last days, leading up to the coming of Jesus for his church. And I believe that we are currently seeing this growing spirit of Antichrist in our world today, right before our very eyes, that it is the setup for when this man, this world leader, is going to come on the scene and the, it's interesting, the, the term or the, the phrase Antichrist is used over a hundred times in the Bible. And some other names for him are the son of Satan, the lawless one, the beast. And tonight what we're going to do is walk through Revelation chapter 13. And I want to give you nine traits that we see here of the Antichrist. And as we walk through this passage, I want you to make note of how some of these traits of the spirit of Antichrist are becoming prevalent in our world today. Revelation chapter 13, John is seeing a vision of things that will happen in the last days during the tribulation time. Let's read beginning in verse 1. John says, Then I stood on the sand of the, of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horn ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. And his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and, his, and great authority. So if you're taking notes, here's trait number one. The Antichrist will have a political system. And this is depicted by what John describes here as a beast coming out of the sea. Now, it's easy to read this and, and in our minds picture, you know, one of those Transformer movies, right? Where those big creatures are coming out of the sea and, and, we, and we've seen that. Well, you got to understand, when John writes in this way, much of the, the, the book of Revelation, he's writing in a symbolic sense, and what's interesting in the Bible, when it makes reference to the sea in this type of way, the sea is used symbolically to describe and speak of the nations. And so the first thing that John wants us to know is when this individual comes on the scene, he rises out of the nations. He's going to come out of the nations of the world. John says he has seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns. Now, keep your place here and turn over to Revelation chapter 17 because it's there he gives us a little further insight. If you look at verse 9 of Revelation 17, John says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads and the seven mountains on which the woman sits, they are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. That eighth, that is of the seven, is actually, they mentions is, remember, Antichrist is called the son of perdition. This is speaking of the Antichrist. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And they are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he 
is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Now, verse 14 is speaking of, John, John does this a lot in his writings. He kind of comprises a whole bunch of events into one sentence. And this is what he's doing here. Talking about this, these kings that are going to rise up and this one that comes into power. And that the, these kings are going to come against Jesus. That's a reference, verse 14, to the battle of Armageddon. We're actually going to talk about that in one of our prophecy updates. But what I want you to get from this tonight is that the seven heads, the seven mountains, and the seven kings is a reference to the old Roman Empire. Because that's how, at the end of the old Roman Empire, that's how it was set up. And the ten kings is describing a confederation of nations that will come together. And many Bible Scholars and teachers believe that the Antichrist is going to come out of this confederation of nations that is going to be a made up of, of some, in some form of the old revived Roman Empire. That the old Roman Empire is going to be revived. And there's a lot of different theories as to what that's going to look like. I'm not going to go into that tonight. But that the Antichrist is going to come out of this old Roman Empire. Daniel talks about this little horn in Daniel chapter 8 that rises up and takes out some of the other horns and, and, and kind of puts himself into power. And the idea is that this Antichrist is going to come up out of the nations, out of the sea, out of this confederation of nations, and he's going to come into power. Now here's what's interesting about this. We live at a time in the history of our world, maybe like never before, where the world is looking for leadership. Here's an article that was recently put out by the Ford Foundation. They said this, why our world needs, get this, a new kind of leader. And the whole premise of the article was, hey, what we have right now isn't working. We need something new. We need a new kind of leader. This was another headline. The United Nations chief has issued a dire warning that the world is moving in the wrong direction and faces a pivotal moment. And in that article, the Secretary General of the United Nations said continuing in a business-as-usual mode could lead to a breakdown of the global order and a future, future perpetual Crisis. That was September of 2021, just a couple months ago. The Secretary General of the UN is saying, hey, we can't continue in, in, in the way we're doing things in this world in a business as usual mode. This was in the Harvard Review a little bit. This was actually last year. But the Harvard Law Review said we are facing a global leadership vacuum. There's a vacuum, and we saw this, and the world was talking a lot about this during COVID, and this particular article said global leadership has been urgently needed to slow the spread of coronavirus, but world leaders and international bodies have not mounted a coordinated response. Listen, the world is looking right now for somebody that's going to pull this all together. This was in CSNBC September 4th, 2021, the U.S.-Afghanistan pullout sparks the EU to call for a more military might. 
And the general sense of that article was this, that the EU, the European Union, that's what that stands for, is no longer content to just be a political and economic power, but now they're feeling like they need to be a military power, which involves, and they're talking about this right now, forming their own army, which is significant. Because that's what is going to happen. This, this antichrist person rising up out of the nations, out of this, this confederacy of nations, which could very well be connected to the European Union, he's going to have a military force behind him. So like never before, perhaps uh, we see the nations of the world are looking for this type of leadership. As they look at the terrorism in the world, as they look at the problem you know, that people perceive, it's a perceived thing, of global warming, as they look at you know, the, the problem with the pandemic, they're calling for leadership. And the Bible says that this man called the Antichrist is going to come on the scene with some answers and with a big presence. Go back to Re- Revelation 13 and notice that John says that he is like a leopard. That speaks of the fact that he's going to come on the scene in a swift way, quickly. That he's going to come into power quickly. And we've seen this a lot lately, haven't we? And if you think about, you know, different people that have risen into political power that, that, that we never had heard of before. I mean, think about back when President Obama when Barack Obama was running for president, a lot of us had never heard of that guy before. Like, who is this guy? You know, where did he come from? But boy, he just rose like a rocket. I remember my wife and I, we were on a mission trip in Costa Rica. And we were, it happened to be a day where it was just raining buckets. It was just raining like crazy. And we couldn't do anything. We just had to stay in our hotel room. And so we put on the TV and the only thing on the TV in English was the Democratic National Convention. Yeah. And if you remember this, it was being held at Rocky Stadium in Colorado. And it was packed like 80,000 people. It was like a rock concert. And I looked, at, I looked at Denise and I said, that guy's going to win. Because you could just tell the momentum, the energy, and all of a sudden the way he just catapulted. It was like, this is crazy. I had never seen anything like that before. Or think about Sarah Palin. Like, who'd ever heard of her, right? And she comes on the scene and she's going to be a vice presidential candidate. And we're all scratching our head. Who is this woman from Africa? Or think even more recently about Fauci, right? Had anybody heard of that guy before? And suddenly, you know, he's now the one dictating whether or not we can have Thanksgiving with our families. And, and, and this is the whole, you know, it, it, this is the, the age that we're living in of the media and social media. That it just can so rapidly catapult people into the limelight and that's what's going to happen with this guy he's swift he's going to come on the scene in a swift way he has feet like a bear that speaks of that he has a very strong presence that he's strong and then he has a mouth like a lion that there's an authority to him and he roars and people are going to listen 
Now, the end of verse 2 tells us why he's going to have answers and be so powerful and even rise so quickly. The end of verse 2 tells us that he was given, this is number 2, power by Satan himself. The dragon referenced here, this is Satan. And Satan gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. Now, people read this and they think, does Satan really have power? He does. That's why the Bible refers to him as the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the garden and they sinned, they forfeited this world into the hands of Satan. Now, Jesus has come and he died on the cross to redeem mankind and to redeem this world. And he has paid the price for it, but he hasn't laid claim to it yet. Because Jesus is still desiring that people would choose to follow him. And so he gives people a choice. But there's going to come a day when he is going to lay claim to this world. He's redeemed it. He just hasn't laid claim to it. So Satan, he's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. Remember when in in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus being tempted. And remember what happens there? Satan takes him up on a hill and he's overlooking. He sees all the kingdoms of the world. Remember what Satan said? Bow down. Bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. It was his to give. And aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? You see, what what Satan was offering Jesus was a shortcut. You don't have to go to the cross. Just bow down to me and worship me. Satan does have power. So he's going to give power to the Antichrist. Another thing that's going to propel him into the limelight, this is point number three, is the Antichrist will appear to have a resurrection. Look at verse three. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now I think that this is suggesting that there's going to be some type of an assassination attempt upon this guy's life. And he is going to somehow miraculously recover from this. And again, in the, in the day and age of social media and, and you know, the, the news and we see things now in, in real time, this is going to be heavy. This is going to be something that the world's going to look on. In fact, some of you, I think all of us have probably seen footage of it, but some of you were around back then. But remember when, when uh, President John F. Kennedy was shot and killed? And we've seen the footage of that, right? His head getting just, you know, not to be too graphic, but just, you know, blown off. Imagine, we see that, we look, we're horrified, and a day later, he's risen. Think about how big his approval rating would have been, Right? Like, who is this guy, man? He just came back from the dead. That's going to be the idea here with the Antichrist. He's going to receive some type of mortal wound, and he's going to be brought back to life. Number four, the Antichrist will be a conqueror. And I actually am combining points four and five here. Point five is that the Antichrist will be a man of war. And kind of both of these um, are combined here in verse four. It says, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? Now, there's several things in this verse that are interesting. I want you, first of all, to notice that it says that the world is going to worship the dragon. Who's the dragon again? Satan. What has Satan wanted all along? To be worshiped. 
That's what got him kicked out of heaven. He wanted to put himself above God, that he would be worshipped. He was Lucifer. He was an angel. He's the fallen angel, the one that was kicked out of, of heaven. And this is what he always wanted. And here in this moment, he's going to experience what he always has been craving for, that he would be worshipped by the world. And so it says that the, the, the dragon, Satan, is going to be worshipped, and this beast, this antichrist person who he gives power to. And there's going to be widespread acceptance and allegiance for the antichrist after this event. He'll probably be on all the talk show circuits. He'll be on Jimmy Fallon and you know all these different guys. He'll be with you know the different news people that are you know out there today and everybody's going to want to hear what he has to say. And verse 5 says that he is going to speak great things. He's going to have charisma and he's going to be very likable. He's not going to be creepy. He's going to be this likable. And the Bible tells us that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. And that's what's going to happen here. The world is going to be won over by his charm and by his ideas. And it's interesting, when you look back in history to when a dictator would take over a nation, it was rarely ever done with brute force. Study history. Instead, dictators usually come to an economically troubled nation at a time when the nation is weak, when they're vulnerable economically, when they're very, very impressionable. An example of this is when Rome first came into power, the nations around Rome were in dire straits. And the Romans showed kindness. They showed benevolence. They got their foot in the door where they were eventually, then they conquered those surrounding countries. And then they demanded at that point that the emperor would be worshipped. Or think about when Hitler came into power in Germany. The nation was in dire economic straits. In fact, inflation was so high that there were thousands of people starving on the streets in Germany. The communists were rioting, and then Adolf Hitler appeared on the scene. A seeming voice of authority in the midst of chaos. And he told the people of Germany that they were a people of destiny. He promised to bring Germany back to glory and that Germany would one day rule the worlds under the banner of the Third Reich with Hitler as its head. And they bought into the lie. They were like, they were so, things were so dire. They're like, yes, that's what we want. Just like the world today. We need a leader. We need help. Things are dire. Where's this all heading? Where's this all going? That's exactly what was happening. But here's what's interesting about Hitler. He was very sly at first. He came with words of peace. He said that he wouldn't be a threat to Jews or Christians. He met with church leaders in Germany. State-run churches, that's where pastors that were paid by the government, kind of being controlled by the government. The pastors were concerned about the new form of government under Hitler, that there would be, would there be any provision with them? And so Hitler met with them to ensure them that they would be taken care of. And they liked his charisma, they liked his charm, they liked his economic plan. In fact, one bold pastor asked him, what about the soul of Germany? And this was his response. Hitler said, leave the soul of Germany to me. And they did. And the results, or the rest is history. Synagogues were burned to the ground. 
So were churches that didn't support Hitler's views. Swastikas replaced crosses in churches that did not follow him. My point in all this is that Hitler came on the scene with overtures of peace and promises of prosperity and glory. He had a flair, he had a power, he, or excuse me, he had a charisma, but he was a master deceiver. And once he came into power, he set out on a rampage to eliminate the Jewish nation, and the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and do a very similar thing. Verse 4 says that his power is so great that they are going to be asking, who is able to make war with him? And it's really a rhetorical question. And the answer is, no one. No one's going to be able to make war with him. That's how powerful he is going to be. The world is going to be won over by his charm and his ideas, and he will come on the scene at a time when there's some turmoil. I believe the turmoil is going to be because of the rapture of the church. Think about this. Think about how crazy the world is going to be when millions of people all over this planet suddenly disappear, and they're suddenly gone. It's going to be chaos, It's going to be, you know, people are going to be reeling. They're going to be wondering, what in the world are we supposed to do? And the Antichrist person is going to come swiftly on the scene and into power, and he's going to bring about a global peace plan, an economic plan, but it's going to be short-lived. You see, once he gets himself into power, his true colors are going to be revealed, and he will be a man of war. He'll be a man of conquest and domination. He will be a bloodthirsty world leader who will make guys like Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and Mussolini and so many others that they will look like lightweights in comparison to him. He'll no doubt have, the, have access to the latest technology. You know, right now, The big thing that's being talked about in military circles is quantum technology. And you might remember back when, um, you know, the, the, the USA, China, Russia, they were, they were all vying for, um, you know, trying to, to come up with the stealth aircraft, you know, that couldn't be detected. And they did. They've conquered that. They've achieved that. And right now, the, the technology, this quantum technology that's being put out, it, the idea behind it is that the, no longer were these stealth aircraft able to be an advantage because this new quantum technology is, will be able to detect them. But the other thing that's interesting about this new quantum technology is that it's also able to have a better GPS system for, tar- for, for uh, tracking or, or detecting targets that they want to fire at. So whoever masters this first, and right now, you know, us, Russia, China are racing to see who's going to be first in coming up with this quantum technology in warfare. And this guy that comes on the scene, he'll probably have access to the latest technologies. Another thing big today is, is artificial intelligence. This was in the Washington Post. The U.S. says humans will always be in control of AI weapons, but the age of autonomous war is already here. 
The Pentagon says a ban on IA weapons, artificial intelligence weapons, isn't necessary. But missiles, guns, and drones that think, get this, for themselves are already killing people in combat and have been for years. And then the article goes on to say this. Picture a desert battlefield scarred by years of warfare. A retreating army scrambles to escape as its enemy advances. Dozens of small drones indistinguishable from quadcopters used by hobbyists and filmmakers come buzzing down from the sky using cameras to scan the terrain and onboard computers to decide on their own, on their own, what looks like a target. Suddenly, they begin dive-bombing trucks and individual soldiers, exploding on contact and causing even more panic and confusion. And then it says this, this isn't science fiction, imagining of what future wars might be like. It's a real scene. You can Google this. It's a real scene that played out last spring as soldiers loyal to the Libyan strongman, uh, Khalafi Heifter, retreated from Turkish-backed forces of the United Nations recognizing Libya's government. These drones coming on the battlefield and just taking out these enemy soldiers, armed, thinking for themselves. That's where things have come. And the Antichrist, being a man of war, being a conqueror, he's going to have access to this type of technology. We could talk about bio and chemical weapons, which some believe that we're actually doing that right now with China. But this man, the Antichrist, is going to have access to all of this. He's going to be a conqueror, a man of war. Here's number six. He's given a specific period of time. Look at verse five. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. And if you're familiar with Bible prophecy, that's a significant number. You see, remember in Matthew 24, Jesus is describing there the tribulation. And, and, he, and he said this. He said, pray that those days would be shortened. In another place, it says, if those days had not been shortened, no one would survive. The time the Bible refers to as the tribulation time is a time of seven years. And it's the remaining seventh year of what in Daniel chapter 9 is described as Daniel's 70th week, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And it's there that the prophet Daniel, writing over 500 years before the birth of Christ, prophesied this, that there are 70 weeks that are determined, now listen to this, that are determined for God's people, people of Israel, and for his holy city, the city of Jerusalem. That's important. The emphasis is on Israel. 70 weeks. Now, if you study that, you know that the 70 weeks are actually describing 77-year periods. So a period of 490 years. And then Daniel says this, that after 69 weeks or 69 seven-year periods, the Messiah is going to show up in Jerusalem. And it says that He's going to, at the end of that week, he's going to be cut off, but not for himself. Now, here's what's fascinating. And, and, and one of these days, at one of these prophecy updates, we're going, to, we're going to do Daniel chapter 9. We'll probably take the whole night just to go into that, because it's one of the most fascinating prophecies in the Bible. But the clock starts, Daniel said, when the decree would go forth to go and rebuild Jerusalem. 
Well, that happened on March 14th, 445 B.C., King Artaxerxes gave the decree that the Jews could go back and rebuild their city. The city and the walls, it says. So the clock starts. You could count from that moment 483 years. You count, and you know where it takes you? It takes you to April 6th, A.D. 32. You know what happened on that day? That's the day that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem for his triumphal entry. The prince, the Messiah, showed up. And at the end of that week, he was cut off but not for himself. He died that we, at the end of that week for us. So the 404, excuse me, 483 years of Daniel's prophecy have been fulfilled. Those first 483 years. There's one seven-year period that is left. And it's the seven-year period that this false Christ is going to appear. The Antichrist comes on the scene and he's going to do something in the middle of that seven-year period that's significant. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24. I'll read it to you. It'll be on the screen. It says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. This is what he wants us to understand. The abomination of desolation is when this this person, the Antichrist, is going to go into the temple in Israel. Now, the temple hasn't been built yet, right? So that, that has to happen. He's going to come into the temple in Israel and declare himself to be God and declare and demand that he would be worshipped by the Jews. So Jesus said, when that happens, then let those who are in Judea, okay, where's this at? Judea. Flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. In other words, hey, there's an urgency here. This is going to be gnarly. You need to get out of there. And let him who is in the field not go back and get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until the this time and nor ever shall be and unless those days were shortened no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake those days will be shortened you know why the tribulation time is divided into two three and a half year periods it's important you know this this is this is why everything has to do with israel and this is the reason. The first seven years, the first three and a half years of that seven-year period, the Antichrist is at peace with Israel. He's going to help them rebuild their temple. He's going to help them. There's going to be a sense of peace and a sense of safety as he comes on the scene. He's going to make things right with the people of Israel. But at the second point of the, the midway point of that seven-year period, He goes into that temple that he's going to help rebuild. And he's going to declare, hey, you guys need to worship me. That's why the whole tribulation time in the Bible, get this, it's known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not the world's trouble. It's not the church's trouble. It's Israel. Jacob was another name for Israel. It's known as the time of Jacob's trouble because it's all really centered on Israel. There's a Jewish vibe to what Jesus is saying. He says, hey, pray that this doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Why? Because the Jews keep the Sabbath. 
That, that, the Sabbath, you know, we might keep a Sabbath in the sense that we, you know, like to have a day of, of rest and seeking God, but we don't keep the Sabbath the way that they do. You go to Israel today, you don't want to get on the Sabbath day into the wrong elevator. Because there's the elevator in Israel that's the, that runs on the Sabbath day, it stops on every single floor. Okay, And if you're in a big hotel, that's a bummer, man, because it's stopping on every single floor because they don't want to break the Sabbath. And so this is very, very Jewish. This is the point in, in, in nature here. And so the tribulation is a lot about Israel. And one of the reasons the church, that's one of the reasons why the church isn't mentioned during the tribulation. You know, do you realize that? You read the book of Revelation and we see the church in chapters one through three. It's all about the church. And then from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19, we don't hear anything else about the church anymore. It's all about what's happening on the world. It's, it's very centered around Israel. And then all of a sudden, the church shows up again in chapter 20 when Jesus is coming back and we're coming back with him. Because the focus, the church is not mentioned because my belief is that the church isn't here. Now, let's think about this idea of him re- helping Israel rebuild their temple. If you've been to Israel, you know right now that Israel doesn't control the Temple Mount. You go there and you have to go through a long line and, and you, you know, the Arabs control the Temple Mount. The Dome of the Rock Mosque, Rock Mosque sits upon the Temple Mount. If you're up on the Temple Mount and you start talking about Jesus or things like that, they, they'll yell at you. you know, they'll come, armed guards, like saying, hey, quit talking about that. You don't want to, you can't bring out Bibles. You can't do any of that because they control that. But here's what's interesting. If you turn over to Revelation chapter 11, John has a vision. And this is interesting. Verse 1 of Revelation chapter 11. He said this, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Interesting. The new temple that is going to be built. Many people believe what John's describing here is that the Antichrist is going to find a way for the Muslims, the Arabs, and the Jews to coexist on the top of that, that temple mount. That they can rebuild their temple. And there's a lot of um, you know, talk about where the original temple was at. And I don't have time to get into all that. But you could literally build. The, the new temple will be smaller than the old one. And the two of them could exist. And so for the first three and a half years, the Antichrist brings peace. He helps them rebuild their temple. But in the middle, something happens. This abomination of desolation. He goes into the temple, demands to be worshipped. And suddenly their eyes are open. They're like, oops, we made a mistake. This is not our Messiah. You go to Israel today and you see, they don't, you need to understand that. The Jews, the Jewish people today that are, that are not born again, that are not Jesus followers, the Orthodox Jews today, they don't believe that the Messiah has come yet. They're still looking for him. And you ask an Orthodox Jew, how will you, understand, how will you recognize the Messiah? And a lot of times they'll say this, he's the one that will help us rebuild our temple. 
and you go to the Temple Institute, it's, a, it's, it's fascinating because they have everything in place right now. Priests that are being trained. Everything is in place right now. All they need is the green light and they're ready to rebuild their temple. He's going to help make that happen. Number seven, he speaks blasphemies against God and God's people. Verse six, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. That's his people. Now, this is one of the aspects of the spirit of Antichrist that I think is growing today. It wasn't that long ago that being called a Christian was seen as a good thing. People looked at us and like, oh, you're a Christian, that's cool. Not anymore. It wasn't that long ago that Bible studies in school and prayer in school and having you know, your Bible out front and center in public schools was an okay. It was a, something that was accepted. But those days are gone today. Have you noticed the hostility that exists in the world today towards Christians? The world is angry at Christians. And some of it is what I would call normal anger. Normal anger is what Jesus talked about in John chapter 3 where he said, the darkness hates the light because the light exposes the darkness's evil deeds. And so the idea is that you're living for Jesus. You've experienced this. You get saved and you start living for the Lord and you're following the Lord and all your buddies that are still in darkness, they don't like you anymore because the new way that you're living and following Jesus exposes their evil deeds, right? And they're like, man, you're a drag and you know, we don't want to have you around anymore and they, they just don't like you. Well, the world is getting darker and darker. And so their hatred for us is just growing and growing. And they look at us, and, and the, the knock or the thing that they accuse us of is you guys, it's you Christians that are standing in the way of progressive thinking. It's you Christians that are standing in the way of the gay agenda. It's you Christians that are standing in the way of transgenderism. And they get mad at us because of our stand for righteousness and wanting to hold to what the Bible says about things like sexuality. In fact, did you hear about the Florida school trip for elementary students? That they took these elementary students, this happened last week, to a gay bar. Did you hear about this? Totally. A Broward County school board member posted this on her official, this is her official school board Facebook page last Wednesday. I was so honored to be invited to chaperone Wilton Manors Elementary's field trip to the Incredible Rosies, which is a gay bar. The students and I had a fun walk over and learned a lot about our community. A huge thank you to Rosie's Bar and Grill for hosting this special field trip every year. Every year. But imagine if the field trip was to a church. Imagine how people would be protesting. They're like, oh, this is so wonderful. Now, uh, Christians are protesting. Christians are, are saying, this isn't right. What are you doing taking elementary students to a gay bar? So there's, there's what I would call normal anger. But then there's also what I would call, and I want you to hear me on this. I don't want anybody getting weird on me here, okay? 
But there's what I would call extreme right-wing anger. You see, there are those in our society that want to take all the, what I would say, quote-unquote, radical Trump followers who stormed the Capitol and that type of thing, and they're like, those are those Christians, They're the ones that did that. They're the ones that are causing the problems in our society. It's those Christians that are anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers. It's those Christians. And they lump us into this category. It's those Christians. They're the ones caught up in all these conspiracy theories. And some Christians are, okay? Let's just be honest, all right? And then... There's what I would call the extreme right-wing non-Christians who then hear Christian and pastors who are talking about things like CRT and BLM and being sympathetic to things like gay rights. And, and, and I want to just say this. I know some of these guys who do this. And I think in in their heart, their intention is right, that they want the gospel to speak into those things. But I think their method is very wrong. And it's sending a mixed message. And you have people on the extreme right who are not Christians who hear that type of thing, and they're like, it's those Christians, those liberal Christians. And my point is, we're getting it right now on all sides. And there is this growing hostility happening in our world today where people are just like, the Christians are the problem. And we need to get rid of them. In fact, I believe when the rapture happens and we suddenly disappear, I think the Antichrist is going to put a really nice spin on that. That it's going to be like, see, (laughs) they were the problem and now they're gone. We got them out of here, you know, kind of a thing. So, All of this, though, is part of the devil's plan to get the world to become more and more antagonistic toward Christians. And this is going to grow even more intense during the time of the tribulation. For those who are left here that turn to Jesus. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is writing about the coming of the Antichrist when he comes into power. And he says this. He says, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in this time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Note that. It's already at work. It was, all, it was wor- at work back then. It's even more at work now. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by his appearance at his coming. Here's what Paul's saying. This Antichrist is going to come on the scene, but there's something right now that's restraining him. What's restraining him? Some people would say, well, it's the Holy Spirit, but That can't be true because the Holy Spirit in the tribulation is not taken out because a lot of people are getting saved during the tribulation and people can only come to Christ through the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of sin. So who is that which is restraining the Antichrist? It's the Holy Spirit in the life of his church. It's us. 
We're the ones that are standing up for righteousness. We're the ones who are saying, hey, this isn't right. We're the ones who are protesting immorality in our schools and in these different places. We're the ones who are standing against injustice. And at the time of the rapture, we're going to be taken out of the way. We're taken to heaven. So there's a growing hostility against God and against his church. It's spirit of antichrist. We see it right now. And it's going to get even more intense during the time of the tribulation. Let me read to you from Daniel chapter 11. Speaking of that time, it says, Then the king, speaking of the Antichrist, shall do according to his own will, and he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what he has done been determined shall be done revelation 13 look at verse 7 and 8 it says and also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them and authority was given to him over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship it the beast and everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, you might read this and go, wait, 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 I don't get this. It says that he's making war with the saints. But then it says, but not against those whose names are written in the book of life. Isn't that the saints? Yes. But here's what it's talking about. The saints that he's not going to be able to make war against are you guys. It's us who are living right now. That Jesus, the ones who are restraining, that Jesus is going to take out in an event that is known as the rapture of the church. We're going to talk about that probably at our next prophecy update. What it is, why it is, when it is. Not not that I'm going to name a date, but just (laughs) when it is in, in conjunction with the tribulation. Okay, That's what I mean. We're taken out, but when that happens, people in your family, people that you work with, people that you've shared the gospel with that have said, thanks, but no thanks, suddenly their eyes are going to be opened and they're going to realize, oh man, what Rob was telling me is true. I need to give my life to Jesus. And he's going to come against them. And he's going to come against the Jewish people in a very intense way. Understand this, the time of the tribulation is known as a time when God is pouring out his wrath, that's a key point, on a world that has rejected Jesus. In fact, in Revelation chapter 6, the very opening of the first seal, I'll read this to you, it says, now I saw the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a, a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. This is a picture of when this Antichrist person comes on the scene. Very beginning of the, of the tribulation time. And this is what you need to understand about the tribulation. We'll talk more about this, but, but just I want to throw this out to you right now. The, the, in the tribulation, and this is what's different about the tribulation from persecution. Persecution is going on in the world right now. What's different, though, in the tribulation is everything is originating from heaven. Everything is originating from God. 
He's opening the seals and the bowls and sounding the trumpet judgments because the whole tribulation is a time of God pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. But Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 about we the church. This is, we should have such great courage in this as he says, but guys, know this, you're not appointed under wrath but to obtain salvation. So comfort one another with these words. There's a wrath that is coming upon this world. But the Lord says, you're not appointed under wrath, but to obtain salvation. Now, some would say this. Well, if we're not going to be here when this Antichrist person comes on the scene, why should we care? Rob, why are you even talking about this tonight? Why why should it matter to us? Well, we should care for two reasons. One, we need to know the times and the seasons. We need to be aware. We need to understand this spirit of Antichrist that is growing in our world today. We need to realize that. We need to be aware of the times and we need to be aware of the seasons. We need to understand that the time is getting short. Think of it in this way. Did you notice around September, a lot of the stores, they started putting up Christmas decorations and Christmas stuff? Every time I see that, I get excited because it reminds me, oh, it's almost Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's what this is like. We need to be aware. We see these things happening and it reminds us, oh, it's almost time for Jesus to come for his church. The eighth thing that we need to note here, the Antichrist will be a part, actually one more thing I need to say say is we need to be aware of the times and the seasons, but we also need to be active. And this is what I want to just catch. Big idea. You catch anything, what this is all about for us, it's not escapism. If you take away from that, like, oh, great, I get to escape this and, you know, praise the Lord. I'm going to hunker down and wait for the Lord to come back. You're missing the point. It's not escapism. It's activism. Because God has kept us here for a reason. And the reason is the ship is sinking. And there's people that need to be saved off the ship. The house is burning. And there's people that need to be rescued out of the house. And that's why we are here. Two more quick things. Number eight, the Antichrist will be a part of a global worldwide religion. Look at verse eight. It says, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. And skip down to verse 11. And then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed and he performs great signs so that he even makes fire to come down from heaven. That's pretty impressive, right? On the earth in the sight of men and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and now lives. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This beast that comes out of the earth is known as the false prophet. What's described here is really an unholy trinity. We have the holy trinity, 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is the unholy trinity. It's the dragon, Satan. It's the beast, the Antichrist. And this other beast, the false prophet. And notice it says in... It it, it continues and it says, And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those to dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs signs and great wonders. But there's a deception to this. In fact, I like the way that it mentions this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception. So the question is, is there really power or is it just a deceptive type of thing? And we've seen this before. In different things. I remember, I think it was either on YouTube or, or, or somebody had showed me this. Remember, you know the illusionist Chris, Chris Angel? You've heard of that guy? That guy's freaky, man. He's weird. But I remember watching a thing that, where he was somewhere and they were showing him walking on water across the swimming pool. Now I know it was a trick, but boy, how they pulled this off, I have no idea. Because it looked so incredibly weird. I mean, they had people swimming across where he was walking. And somehow, you know, he's, it, it either was a trick or it was the devil, okay? A satanic thing. Great deception. But this Antichrist is going to come on the scene and establish a worldwide religion. Now, here's what's interesting about this. I don't have time to go into this in great detail, but this was a headline. Maybe you heard about this. News coming out of the UAE. This was the Vatican News that the Abrianic family house in Abu Dhabi, thank you, (laughs) Abu Dhabi, was to open in 2022. And Pope Francis was there being seen, I think there's a picture of it, Pope Francis, and that other, other guy in the black is the grand iman from Dubai. And they're shaking hands and all excited about this new Abrianic family house that they're opening. I think we have a picture of this. Um, and go ahead and go to the next slide. Because on this, there's three buildings. There's a mosque, a church, and a synagogue. Coexist. You know, people riding around with those bumper stickers, coexist. They're, they know, they're exactly on par with what's going to be happening. The Antichrist is going to bring together these different religious groups so that they can coexist in this beautiful place that they put together. Lastly, the last thing that we're going to make note of here, the Antichrist will control a global economy. Look at verse 16 through 18. It says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding and calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, there's a lot of implications to this. I know it's been, been long. We're, we're right at the hour mark here. And I just need about three more minutes. But I need you to listen closely to me because I don't want anybody to, to go away saying, Pastor Rob said this. And, and okay. 
What's interesting about this is what we are experiencing right now in our world. The Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he's going to set up a one world monetary system where no one can buy or sell unless they receive his mark. We're going to talk about that at another time, what that looks like in the technology today. A lot of technology being set up for this cashless society. Police forces and, and you know, shop owners, they're, they're all into this. There's several nations already that are ready. They're ready to put this into play. The technology is there. But here's what I want you to catch tonight. What he's doing is he's going to force a control upon the world. You can't buy You can't sell, you can't go to the grocery store, you can't go to the car dealership, you can't go to Home Depot unless you have my mark. This mark of the beast. What is it going to be? Is it going to be a tattoo? I used to think that's ludicrous. Who's going to put a tattoo on their forehead? I don't know. These days people are putting tattoos everywhere, right? I don't know. Is it going to be some type of a chip implanted under the skin? Maybe. That technology exists. But this is what I want you to catch. This is that spirit of Antichrist that we're seeing in our world today. We're seeing the implications. And again, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. But these these mandates that are being forced on us right now of you, you have to get a vaccine or you're going to get fired. And I'm not anti-vaccine at all. I know plenty of people that, uh, you know, have it. And I think, you know, that's it's wonderful. What I'm, what I'm against is not having a choice. And this is what he's putting forth is that, hey, you're not going to have a choice. So, These mandates that you have to be vaccinated or you're going to lose your job or you have to be vaccinated and wear a mask or you can't go into this. This is the first time in my lifetime that this sort of thing has been mandated. You can't go to this place unless you have been vaccinated. You can't go to this country. You can't enter here. I mean, I've never seen this before and I believe that this is the precursor to this control. It's, it's the setup. It's preconditioning the worlds to be ready to receive this idea that's going to come out. Where people are going, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, give me the mark. I, I want to be able to buy or sell. And I, I get it. It's, it's just like, you know, back when we had to all get vaccinated. I mean, that, that's going to be the rhetoric happening in the world it's it will be an issue of control and we're getting a taste of it right now what we're experiencing right now is a taste of things to come now just to be clear i didn't say that the vaccine is the mark of the beast i did not say that it is not okay i didn't say that being vaccinated is bad i didn't say that it's not it's your choice but it's the setup for what's happening in our world today. I want to give you just a couple of headlines and then I'm going to close. This was in Australia. Now things have loosened up there recently, but in September, Australia develops an app to enforce home quarantines. The state of South Australia has developed an app to enforce home quarantines. And as news reports explains, the app will 
contact people at random, asking them to provide proof of their location within 15 minutes. This is when they had their stay-at-home order. If they fail to do so, the health department will notify the police who will send officers to check on the wrongdoer. That was happening just a couple months ago in Australia. In Sydney, Australia, they're using facial recognition technology to monitor the movements of visitors into their city. Here in the United States, at Oakland University in Oakland, Michigan, they're enforcing right now their students to wear what's called the bio button. It's a GPS tracking device restricting off-campus travel and threatens to arrest kids who do not declare their vaccine status. That's right now in Michigan. In Colorado, Colorado State University, where the tuition there ranges uh, over $31,000 a year for out-of-state students, they're, they're going further and threatening any student who doesn't register their vaccine status, they'll be arrested if they come on campus for, for trespassing. It's heavy. The University of Southern California, right here in California, where the fees range from over $60,000 a year, will not allow students to even take sips of water in class because to do so, they have to lower their mask. So if they want to drink water, they have to go out of the class and into the hall to drink their water. Rutgers University in New Jersey excludes unvaccinated students from online classes. I don't get that at all. <laughs> if you're unvaccinated, you can't even join us online. I mean, that is crazy. But that's the world that we are living in. And if they choose not to get the shot, rather, or, yeah, the, the then if they, they refuse to get the shot, then they, they can't go to the class. That's basically what it was saying. And these are all examples of governmental and institutional overreach that is setting us up for this day when the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. I'm going to wrap it up with this. I wanted to start off this update by talking about this because... I think we need to understand that this spirit of Antichrist is growing. It's coming in our culture. But we as believers are not to be looking for the Antichrist. We're to be looking for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is going to come and take his church before this guy comes on the scene. But the Lord wants us, in the meantime, to be active, to understand that we're here for a purpose. And the purpose is not to bury our head in the sand, but our purpose is to realize that, hey, we're here to be salt and light in this culture and to help lost people find Jesus. That we're here to do business until Jesus comes. And be about the business of his kingdom. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord. That we have a hope. That as this world is getting darker by the day.
as things are being set up for this one who's going to come on the scene. Lord, we want to be aware. We want to recognize this spirit of Antichrist that is growing in our world today. But Lord, we also want to be people who realize and understand that you've left us here for a reason and a purpose. That we're here right now to be your ambassadors. To share the love and the hope of Jesus with people all around us who are lost. People who are confused about their sexuality. Whom you love. That you died for. People who are confused about their gender. People who are in a place of just being lost, pursuing after the things of this life. And it's leaving them empty. God, I pray that we would be a group of people who are aware, who know the signs of the times but also who know our purpose. That we would be a people who aren't getting freaked out by everything going on because we know it's just the setup for what you said would be happening before you come. And Lord, we do want you to come quickly. But at the same time, Lord, we all have people in our lives that don't know you And God, we pray tonight. Our hearts break that they would be saved. And just with our head bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here tonight or maybe you're watching online and you're in a place where you don't have a real relationship with Jesus. And right now in your heart, you're in that place where you're just sensing, man, I'm not ready. Or maybe you at one time knew the Lord and you've walked away from him. You've been living in rebellion. Maybe you've been saying, oh, that's never going to happen. My parents used to tell me about that. And and now you're, you're, you're tonight, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. And you're right. I got to get right with God. I want to encourage you right now, just in the quietness of your own heart, you just tell Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Come into my life. And from this day forward, I want my life to be about following after you. Just tell him that. And he's going to meet you right now in this moment. And he's going to touch you. He's going to forgive you. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to give you hope and he's going to give you life. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. Pray for our church. I pray for those watching online that we would go forth with a sense of courage, boldness, and hope in these days that we're living. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.